Good morning again. So, Anthony, why don't you come up and, and tell us a little bit, a bit about your trip, and you can use that mic there. Hey guys, how you doing? Um, first of all, thank you guys for praying for me and for Boaz. We uh, we really went to Israel because we had a few really important transitions in the local church there. So, um, you know, October seventh, Hamas attacked the people of Israel killed 1,200 people, more than that, and, uh, and just a very brutal moment in the history of Israel and in the history of the Jewish people in general, one of the most brutal days ever. And, um, and so when we had left Israel back in July, in the end of July, I had um, turned over the ministry there to my friend Victor, and Victor is, Victor is a good friend. You know, Victor has been in my my life for a very long time I started teaching him guitar when he was probably like 12 or something you know and uh and so you know then he went to bible college in York England for a couple years with his wife Hadar and they're just amazing people and so but what happened was on October 7th he was called up to serve in the military and he spent 100 days in reserve duty and one of his team members was killed next to him and it was just really really difficult times you know a lot of you know what's going to happen in our country are we going to be attacked from all sides are we going to be attacked from inside all this kind of stuff and and so um so him and his team they were so what happened was hey uh who's going to lead the congregation because the guy that i i just left a few months before so there wasn't anybody else who would lead the congregation so i started leading remotely and I don't know if you guys know that, but like every Friday morning here, we would have our service over there in the Friday afternoon because Sunday morning is not a holiday. Like Sunday morning is free, is, is a work day in Israel. So, so Sunday is not a good day to have a meeting and Saturday is like your only real day off. So we try to put it, our meeting on Friday afternoon, which is also kind of a day off in Israel, like half, half the day is a day off. <laughs> so, so we try to hit that little spot. Friday afternoon, so the people can have their Saturday with their family and, and all that. So, um, so anyway, I began leading, and I, and, I, and I went remotely or physically. Like, I, I flew to Israel twice, and I, Irene flew to Israel once over the last four months. And just, we were there, you know, like, just supporting. And, um, I mean, it's kind of difficult. Like, that's the longest I've ever been away from Irene was this last two weeks. Like, I don't, I don't like to travel by myself. Jesus said, go two by two, you know. So I took my son, Boaz, and that was a great adventure. He was a good teammate. And so, so we went there for, for two real reasons, because three. One of them was uh, our congregation had been, ever since the beginning of the war, we, we don't have a bomb shelter in our, in our building where we meet, okay? So we had to, like, meet in people's homes, because in those homes they have bomb shelters there, you know, <laughs> and so we started doing that right after the beginning of this war, and so, you know, it's great that the Israeli military has advanced so much into Gaza that 
most of those rocket launchers and everything like that, most of those are now really far south, the ones that are left. There's not so much left. They don't have so, so many rockets left. So, so we felt comfortable a couple weeks ago to move back to our building. Um, and so I wanted to be there for that. And then at the same time, um, Victor was released from reserve duty. So he, you know, it's just like this crazy experience because 40 minutes from you, like let's say, uh, I don't know, in Fall River, is that 40 minutes? <laughs> you know, 40 minutes from you, your friends are fighting for their lives and you're supposed to just like live your normal life. So they released, released him from reserve duty and then he, he comes home and then he has like a week or so off and then starts back to the university and it's like, you know, well, just a minute, just a few minutes ago I was in this really tough situation and all my friends are still over there, you know, different people. But So it's a very different kind of experience of war than we know in the U.S. So they released Victor and I wanted to be there when he came back and just help that transition of him coming through. And, you know, he's, he's been through some difficult things, but he's doing okay by God's grace. And, um, and that, y- y- you have this kind of situation where you have people who experienced the war in a very different way. So the people who were at home, they've kind of fought through in their own way. And Victor, you know, he's in the, in the military and he fights through in his own way. So that's kind of coming together and like trying to understand each other, trying to have grace for each other. A lot of questions like, what was this? You know, how, how did you do that? And just brutal, brutal things, you know, but... But, um, but we were there, we were able to have some really important conversations and really help that whole transition happen. And then one of the families that we have met in homeschool, actually, who, uh, who are not, not believers in, in Jesus, but they really connected to us. So, so Boaz, one of his good friends, had what's called a bar mitzvah. You know what that is. It's like coming of age, kind of when you turn 13 as a young man. And his, that guy's sister, who's 12, had a bat mitzvah, which is you're coming, becoming a woman at the age of 12. That's how they do that. So, so they had a dual party, and we were, we were able to go there and help them set up and be part of that. And that was just a huge blessing to them. They were really, really thankful. And so those are just like the three main things, but all week, you know, like every day, just uh, meeting with people. I met with, I told you about my professor, whose son... <coughs> Thought I was going to make it through this one. <laughs> uh, I told you I met my professor. Her, her son was uh, was killed on October 7th. And, and I was able to sit and meet with her. And just she showed me all the pictures of her, her son. And she even let me play his guitar. And just had a good moment with her to try to encourage her, you know. And, and she's not a believer in, 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 in uh in Jesus, but, you know, at least we can give her some comfort and try to try to sit with her. And there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of anger. You know, everybody's got a short fuse in that whole country, <laughs> you know. So we just need you to keep praying for for them. And, uh, and so for us, what this means for us, sorry, I'm taking forever here. But what this means for us is, um, is, uh, so that, so yesterday, no, Friday, two days ago, was the first day that I didn't connect remotely to the meeting. So, um, kind of a big deal. Like, I, 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 ever since October 7th, I was there in their meetings, making, you know, making sure everything was working, trying to help everybody. And so this was the first meeting they had where I, I stepped back, and now Victor's back, and we're going to 
walk this through. So we just need to pray for them as they try to re regel together as a team, as, as a congregation, and, and just see what God is doing there, and, and just pray for healing for everybody. And so for us, um, now I think we're in a place where we, we were, we meant to start traveling around the country, and um, we have this motorhome that we've been working on, and my friend Jimmy Kellum, he's been uh, helping build all these bunk beds in the back, <laughs> and so so it's kind of a crazy thing, and w when it's done, we'll bring it over here, and we'll let you guys have a tour if you want, but um, it's not quite ready yet, but we're working on that, and so in the next few weeks, I'm not quite sure exactly, we're going to start hitting the road, and we don't know exactly how we're going to go there, or what we're going to do, but we're pressing that God's going to say, go there, and go there, and go there, and somehow we'll make our way around the country, but, <laughs> but um, so we'd appreciate your prayers for us too, but hey, we're here for a few more weeks, and if you want to have dinner, if you want to hang out, let us know. Um, we would invite you over, but we don't really have a place to invite you to <laughs> right now. So, so you got to invite us over. But we'd love to hang out and um, and you know just thank you for your prayers. Thank you so much for your prayers for this trip, and it's just such an important, huge important moment in that congregation's life. And uh, so it's because of you guys. You know, you guys are part of that. It, you guys have made it possible for us to do some of that stuff. And uh, without you guys providing <laughs> so, so much help for us, so we just want to thank you. And on, on behalf of the church in Israel, too, we just thank you guys. So, Wow. Somebody want to pray for us? <clears throat> Thanks. Thank you guys. Wow. Let's get into the word. And we're gonna have communion today too, so we got a we got donuts today, man. We got all kinds of stuff going on around this place, I tell you what. We uh we, we've been talking about Joseph and uh, last week we looked at Joseph's last days and he finished well, and that's what an example it is for us. He, he was holding on to God's promises. He was looking in faith to the future. He was full of forgiveness and grace. He had hope. And he passed that along. And that, that's really kind of, it really makes me think about this. And, and what, what is our legacy going to be like? What are we going to pass on to those that come after us? It's very important. So uh, there's a lot to learn from, from Joseph's story. Uh, I found this in gotquestions.org. 
Uh, number one, favoritism and its effects. Not always so good, but God still used it. Number two, how to handle sexual temptation. And Joseph's example was to run God's faithfulness even in suffering and God's sovereign working. So much, I hate to move on from Joseph, but we got to. So today we're going to begin our study in the, in, uh, the book of Exodus, looking at the life of this guy Moses, right? And he was a great leader. He was an incredible leader. Uh, he was called by God. Yet, as we look at his life, he was human, too. And, he, and there's things we can relate to. He had these fears. He had issues. He had anger at times that got him in trouble. Uh, there were times when he was overwhelmed. But he was used by God. And that's a wonderful thing. But... Before we even talk about Moses, we're going to start with Moses' parents, because that's where the scripture starts. Let's, I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. It says this, <clears throat> and this is the hall of faith, and we've been using uh, Hebrews chapter 11 as our kind of template to look at the Old Testament uh, passages. And so in verse 23, it says, by faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. He was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So really, the life of Moses starts with his parents. And what I want to talk to you about today is the faith of the parent, the faith of the parents, and specifically the faith of the parents of Moses. Like, what was kind of their effect on people. It affected him. And you know what? When you think about it, I think even today, the effect of Moses' parents, it, we're, felt, we're feeling it here today because of the life of Moses and how it, it, how it affected the world and how it affects even you and me today. But this idea that, that, that Moses' parents, they had this faith for their kids they had this faith for Joseph. It says that they hid him. How long did they hide him? For three months. They hid him, it says. And so, but, but they did this because of their faith, their faith in God, their faith uh, that God was doing something, that, that God had a plan. And so it affected what they did. In fact, they risked their lives, didn't they? They risked their lives for this child Moses. Now, they had two other children. They were older. And, but, but, but it makes me think, too, about raising kids. And we raised a few kids. And it's kind of a risky business, I think. You know? But they saw, it says that they saw that he was no ordinary child. That he was, it literally says he was a goodly or a beautiful child. Now, do you think maybe they were a little biased? But they had two other kids. But there was something about this child. And I think that we need to pay attention to what, what's God doing. And when you look at, at your children, or maybe you're going to have children later on, what does God want to do? And what kind of faith do you have for your kids? And they're all very different. I've discovered that. They're all very different. But there was something about this child, you know, Makes you think about, you know, John the Baptist's parents. They knew there was something about this kid, right? And then Jesus' parents too, Joseph and Mary, right? 
Mary and Joseph, who was kind of a stepfather kind of thing. But they saw and they said, Jesus, something about this kid. The name is Jesus, of course. So it says that they were not afraid, these parents. They didn't let fear control their lives. They were not afraid of the king's edict, and they, they hid him. Now, what was the king's edict? The king's edict at that time was what? To kill all the Israelite males. So he was in that time period. Just kill him. Get rid of him. But God had a different plan, and, and the faith of his parents radically changed history. So let's, let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 1. This is where we're going to look at the story. We're going to pick up the story there, kind of give some history to it, because, again, <clears throat> Genesis is, is the foundation of everything we look at in, in a scripture, and then Exodus kind of sees, it, it kind of continues that foundation. In fact, they, they say that... <clears throat> The book of Exodus is really just the continuation of the book of Genesis. Kind of continuing the story there. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel and sons of Jacob, who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, and the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. So he, he kind of gives this little history. When they went there, they only had 70. They, they came to Egypt with 70, and, and you're going to see things radically change. But that's how they started off, this tiny little group of people. Now Joseph, verse 6, and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and they multiplied greatly and they became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. From this small group of people, they just exploded. There was really a population explosion. And God had worked it out that way because if they had stayed in the land of Canaan, it might not have been like that. They, have, they might have intermingled with the people that were there in the land of Canaan. But, but in the land of Egypt, there was this separate, separatism, this separate... Uh, thing that Egypt said, we don't want you to be anywhere near our people. And so they gave them this land and they were separate. And so it was in that particular setting that they just exploded. They became a huge, huge nation. As, as a matter of fact, at the Exodus, when they leave the land, it says there were 600,000 men plus women and children. So let's say they had two kids like here in America. The average is, I think it's gone down, right? It used to be two kids, right? Unless you're brave to take that risk to have more than two. <laughs> but, so, but let's just say with two, so if you had 600,000 plus 600,000 wives, that's 1.2 million, and then two more kids, that's another 1.2 million. So how much is that? 2.4 million. It's a lot of people. From 70 plus now to 2 million plus. God had a plan. Do you think God had a plan with that? He absolutely had a plan for that. And, 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 and you know, this kind of thing, when you think about it, this kind of thing has continued throughout history where the, the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, the, the Jewish race 
could have been just completely absorbed and wiped out and, and never heard from again. But even throughout history, even throughout the, you know, the fact that they were scattered through the earth, yet they came back together and, and, and the nation has continued for all these centuries and centuries. It's just amazing if you look at the history of that. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. Verse 8, it says that a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power. Now, this is a, you know, a long, many, many, many years later, and things changed radically. He came to power in Egypt. He said, look, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they were worried about it. He had no connection to Joseph. But he said, we got to do something about this problem. So what does he do? Verse 11, they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. They, they made them slaves and they made them work and build these cities. But look at verse 12, and I want you to notice this. But the more they were oppressed... The more they multiplied and spread, the more they grew. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and they worked them ruthlessly. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. You know, there's a principle there, isn't there, for you and for me? And I think the principle is this, that sometimes, in fact, most times, we grow under adversity more than under prosperity. We'd like to have it all good and stuff, but the truth is when everything is all good, we don't really grow much as believers in our faith. We don't need our faith. Everything's going great. I got loads of money. I got everything I need. But when the adversity comes, that's when you really grow. The truth is that the, the church, the universal church, grows under persecution more than it does under prosperity. True growth, I should say. And I think the same is true for you and I as well, that we grow more in the valleys than we do on the mountaintops. That's just, that's just the way it is. That God uses suffering. He uses pain. He uses adversity. And it causes us to, to grow. And it causes us more than even than that is to to run to him like we talked about in the songs this morning, to, to run to him for shelter and for help or refuge. So that's what, hap- that, that's what was happening there. They tried to stop it. And you know what? You can't stop God's plan as much as you try. They tried to, to stop the church, the, the Christians, those, those people of the way, those Jesus followers, they tried to stop them in the early, time, early church, but they couldn't. In fact, when they did it, they just grew and they multiplied. You cannot stop what God wants to do. Verse 15, the king of Egypt, of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puan, and these were probably the, the leaders of all the midwives because there was many, many, I'm sure, and when you help the Hebrew children, uh, women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. 
and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. The midwives, they feared God. I was reading that, and, you know, we know the verses in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's the rest? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. But, but the next verse after that says this, that, you know, don't be wise in your own eyes. It says, fear God and depart from evil. We forget about that. You know, there's something, you know, about this idea of trusting God and this fear. It's this reverence for God and his, and his ways and who he is. It's not a bad thing to fear God. It's not like we're afraid of him, but it's this, it's this awe that, that he is the creator and that we submit ourselves to him. These midwives, it says they feared God and they disobeyed the king. The king said, kill the boys. They said, we fear God more than we fear you. Have you heard that before somewhere in the Bible? In the New Testament, right? They, they, they brought the apostles in. They told them, you know, we don't want you speaking anymore about this name, Jesus. The religious leaders, they, they said to the apostles, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, but you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood, the blood of Jesus. But Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. This is another principle for you and I. And what's the principle? The principle is the principle of higher authority, right? The, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh said, you know what, kill the boys. But they said, you know what, God is higher than you. And God says, we do not do that. We don't just kill people randomly. The, this principle of higher authority. I think, you know, if, if our society tells us this is what I want you to do, we see it, we see it in the news now where, where you know, uh, people who work in the medical field are told, you must do this. You must participate in abortion. And they, they say, no, I will not do that. And, and some of them are fighting for their jobs. This is reality. This is in our lives today. Why? Because they are answering to a higher authority. God says, we don't just kill life, kill babies. Why? Because it is murder. That's what it is. This whole thing about the gender issue and, you know, uh, people who refuse to uh, participate in, in uh, you know, wrecking uh, women, girls and boys' uh, bodies who really don't know what they're, they're getting themselves into and they refuse to do that, and they are being persecuted because they will not. Why? Because they believe in a higher authority, that this is not right. God has made us male and female. This is, you know, this is real stuff in our society here today. The midwives, they feared God, and they did not do what the king said, what society said. You and I have to make choices sometimes in our jobs, in our lives it's not an easy thing. But you look at, you look at in the scripture, you, you think about in the book of Daniel, two different examples there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We, we know this, this story about them. But, but they, 
we're told to worship this image of gold of the king, right? And they said, no way, we're not going to do that. And what happened to them? They got, thrown in, they got thrown into the fire, right? And did God get them through that? Yes, they did. But there are many others through history who have refused to bow to the society. And they suffered and they gave their lives for it. You read the stories of men and women who died at the stake because of their Christian faith. And yet were worshiping God in the middle of it. Daniel was told that he could not pray to anyone except the king for this 30-day period or, or, or whatever it was. But it says that, that Daniel learned about this, and he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. They said, you can't pray anymore except to this king. For 30 days, he said, you know what? I can't do that. I'm going to pray just like I always do. He got in trouble for it, right? They, they came after him because of it. Look at verse 18. We've got to keep moving here. It says that, that the king summoned them and says, why are you doing this? Verse 19, the midwives answered, Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. I don't know if that's true or not. Some people say, well, they were just making that up. But others say, you know what, that's, that could be what was happening there. But we're not going to get into all that. But look at verse 20. So God was kind to the midwives. Why? Because they feared him. Because they had this relationship with him, which was more important. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. God blessed them. Why? Because they feared him. You read the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's an incredible book. I love that. But there's a lot of cynical stuff going on. And, and, and Solomon tried everything under the sun and, and, and said, you know, he tried it all, and it didn't really help. And at the very end, it says, this is the conclusion. This, is some, this sums it all up. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. When it's all said and done, have this relationship with God and do what he says. Well, that's kind of simplistic, but yeah, but that's what he came to. And this guy was wiser than any person on the earth. Fear God, have a relationship with him, and do what he says. That's, that's as simple as it gets. Pharaoh comes up with a new order, verse 22. He gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Well, we'll do it a different way. We'll just throw them into the river. Now we see in chapter 2, Moses' parents entering into the picture. Verse 1, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. We read about this in chapter 11. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now they had, again, they had 
a son and a daughter already. But there was something about this one and said, no way. But again, I think they also, because of their fear for God, we're not going to do what the society, what the king is telling us to do. So they put him in this Nile and the sister is watching. It's kind of interesting. In a way, they were following the law, right? Because he said, throw the babies into the Nile. Well, they didn't just throw the baby in the Nile. They put them in a little ark, really. It's the same word that's used for Noah's ark. They put him in this little ark and covered it all that made it waterproof and everything. But it's really interesting when you think about what's going on here about the parents. We saw in, in, in Hebrews 11, they did it by faith. They had faith in God. And now they did this, and, and really there was this, there was a sense that she let him go. She had to give him over to God. She couldn't hide him any longer. They were going to come and find him, and they would certainly kill him. And so she, she put him in this basket and let him go. There, there is a sense, and I, we've been through it. We, I understand it. It's not an easy thing to do. To actually let your children go and give them over to God. But that's what she did. Not an easy thing. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Pharaoh's daughter, it says, just happened to be down there at the Nile. So she went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds. She sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby, and he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She knew. She says, this is one of the Hebrew babies. She knew that he was a Hebrew. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yes, go, she answered, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This is, this is God working. This is not just circumstantial things. It's just, you know, coincidences. God had a plan in all this. Just like in the life of Joseph, Joseph, we saw that God had a plan for all the suffering and trials and prison and everything that he went to. And God worked it out. I, you know, I've just been, this Romans 8, 28, you know, and, and you have to apply it to everything going on in your life. How could God use something like this? But God can Pharaoh's daughter just happens to be there that day. She has compassion on him. The the sister was there and she says, well, do you need someone to help nurse this baby? Oh, yeah, okay. She goes and gets Moses' own mother. Do you think God was at work in all this? You know, not only that, she gets to, you know, nurse her own baby boy we don't know how long this period was. Some think it could be two or three years even where they, you know, this weaning period. She gets, not only does she get to do that, but she gets paid for it. You know, how, how many of you moms get paid to take care of your kids? Well, maybe you do. I don't know. And then 
I think during this period of time, you know, there, there's this sense, and, and, and again, the, the foundation that was laid even during these first few years, because there's something about Moses that he knows who he is. There's some kind of foundation that was laid. Again, we're talking about the faith of the parents that, that she raised this kid these first few years, and there's some kind of a foundation that was laid in the life of this little child. You know, did they learn anything at one year old? Yes, they do. Two years old, oh, the terrible twos, yes, they do, but they learn. I read about Pastor Chuck, you know, where his, his mother would just quote scripture, scripture to him and, and just kind of fill his, you know, little heart and life with Scripture. It says in the book of Acts that when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. And, and then it says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So she gave him this foundation. Then he went to live as the uh, daughter of Pharaoh's, uh, excuse me, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? And then he had the training and he, and he got all the, you know, the training of, of the land there and, and the wisdom and the speech and the action uh, of that land. Do you think God was working in the life of Moses? Do you think God is at work in your children's lives if you have children? Do you think maybe you'll have children later in your life? Do you, do you have the faith for them and what God is going to do with that specific child? I understand it's not always easy. It's not an easy thing at all. But you know what? That's where faith comes in, where we trust and we hold on to God's hand. An interesting thing about this, uh, this situation here, <clears throat> the power of a, the faith of a godly woman. And just in this account alone, we see that, that, that Pharaoh's efforts to stop the nation of Israel, they were thwarted by, by women. Do you think women have power? Yes, absolutely they do. We see the, the midwives, right? They said, uh-uh. Then we, then we saw the, the Israelites' mothers working at it. They had these children before they could get thrown into the, to the, to the river. Then we see Moses' mother. She had faith. Moses' sister. And then Pharaoh's even daughter. So we had, we, said, we had all these women that were working together. Do you think women can, uh, uh, a godly women can have an effect on the next generation? Absolutely, absolutely. The power of a godly woman, the influence. But the influence of parents is also, not just the mom, but the dad as well. It's not just the mom. You dads need to understand that, you know, you can't abdicate your role. You have to, you have to be that godly man as well because kids need both, not just a godly mom. They need a godly mom and a godly dad. Proverbs 22, 6, you know the verse. I'll quote it, though. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. The book of Genesis uh, God tells Abraham, God speaks about Abraham and he says that he will, he says, I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Abraham was, he was taught that he needed to, to, to raise up his kids and following after the Lord. 
We saw it in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as well, that the parents would impress them on their children, the, the principles of the faith. And in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's a big responsibility. You know what? The, the faith of being a parent. But you know what? If it, It's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. And you and I, we can't advocate. We need to be who we're supposed to be as hard as it, it might be at times. But that's what God wants us to do. Moses' parents, it says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. He was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Let's pray together, shall we? We want to have communion too, so we, we're, we're going to have that in just a minute or two. Well, let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for the life of Moses, but, but as we look today, the life of his parents had a radical effect on him. They, they actually saved his life. They rescued him from being killed. They risked their lives that their son might live. And I believe they, they gave him the foundation of faith. Father, we see it in the scripture, those who trust you, who have this healthy fear of following you, and they just want to do what you say. They want to follow your word, your instructions, and, and, and keep what you have called us to do and to be. Father, I pray for each parent here, myself included, that we would continue to have faith for our children. And do what's right. Trusting you. I pray for those that are going to have children later in this life that, that they would also walk by faith and, and trust you and how to raise them, how to do what they need to do. To raise godly children needs godly parents. Help us, Lord. It's not an easy thing. Father, I pray your forgiveness when we have failed them. We all do that. But I know your grace and your mercy covers us, covers our sin, and, and that we can go on from here, cleansed and washed, that we celebrate communion. We, it washes us. We, we're forgiven through the blood of our Savior Jesus but forgiven not to go out and sin, but to, to do what you call us to do and to walk from here in faith, to follow you from here in faith, living and doing what you've called us to do and be. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes it all possible. the one who took our place, the one who gave his life that we might live, whose blood washes us from all sin. 
before we partake of communion, if that's, if, if you have not entered into a relationship with Jesus and asked him in your heart and life, now's a good time. Don't partake if you're not one of his. Doesn't mean anything, it's a ritual. But if you belong to Jesus, it's a remembrance, remembering his death until he comes back for us. We're going to play some music and we have the communion in the back and so we're just going to take a few minutes and, and, and you just uh, take, a, take a time to be quiet before the Lord and, and, and then just go back and, and uh, bring your communion and, and uh, you can hold on to it. Let's all hold on to it, but I want you to walk back as a step of faith and, and bring it and then we will all partake together. Uh, here in just a couple of minutes. So let's take a few minutes to be quiet before the Lord and grab your cup and bread and bring it to your seat and then just wait and we'll partake together, okay?